0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: Your source for Big Ten Talk. It's Off Tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire. We're going to preview week two in the Big Ten. Week one. Of everybody else, because you know the Big Ten just grinds harder. But once again, this is the only Big Ten podcast that um, that well, you know that that I contribute to. So uh, once again, I'm Steve Gron, I'm with Nick Kaczynski, and we are here to talk about um, Ohio State at Minnesota and uh, other more compelling matchups like uh, Florida at Nebraska.
0: Yeah, well, you know, the interesting speculate again um since there was nothing else to talk about this first weekend really as far as outcomes goes unless you want to talk about ucla dunking on hawaii and looking just a teeny little bit like vintage Chip kelly oregon yeah let's uh, talk
1: about zach charbonnet having more success than any michigan running back has had in the rose bowl since 1988 Ah, i stole your joke
0: yeah right so six carries for 100 plus yards three touchdowns no michigan couldn't use him last season at all not at all (laughs) that was literally
1: was his whole season he had one touchdown and a little over 100 yards in five games last year he had six attempts over 100 yards and three touchdowns granted it was against hawaii but
0: but we digress um so yeah as you mentioned ohio state minnesota is a good place to start because it's one of our two thursday night games here in week one I kind of hate it. Minnesota's come to yeah. be associated with this, so whatever. You know, if, if it's just the one Louisville
1: season, of the Big Ten.
0: Yeah, that's what I think. I mean, look, there's a Patino who who used to coach there and got fired because, well, for reasons. So, never mind, different reasons than the other Patino, but you can see the parallels there. So, yeah. I mean, state of Minnesota, uh, Patino was, was
1: so bad he got fired for losing games.
0: Yeah, that takes some doing to be a Patino to get fu- and fired for your coaching record as opposed to, you know, all the heinous shit you do off the field. Yeah, that's um, that's quite that's quite something. But you landed on his feet. And in any case, we've got I, we got Ohio State and Minnesota. We there were a couple of lingering major storylines for each of these teams that are still kind of unresolved. We're here Sunday night, so there may be a firmer announcement, but I really wouldn't expect it. So on the one hand. With Minnesota, the question is, what is Chris Ottman Bell's status? He sustained an injury a couple of weeks ago or so in practice that looked very serious at the time. It has since kind of sounded as though actually maybe not so bad as it seemed initially. He was declared basically week to week by P.J. Fleck, and then most recently the news was he may actually be able to go against Ohio State in week one, which would be huge and might, might even let Minnesota keep this within two scores at the end of the first quarter, in my opinion.
1: You know what it feels like for any team that's not as talented as Penn State to play Ohio State? You know, and of course, Indiana felt differently than this last year. But in general, it feels a lot like if you're playing a one-on-one, you know, one life in Super Smash Brothers, but you're starting at 100% damage. You can hang in there. You can deal damage. You can hang in there, punch for punch. But they hit you with one big one, and you're flying off the screen, and it's a game. Boom. That's it. You're never catching back up. It's it's
0: sudden death, but the other guy doesn't start at three hundred percent. Yeah, I <laughs> I can kind of see that vibe. Ohio State's major unresolved story, of course, is that they still have not announced a starter. Not really clear from what I could tell if they're going to do that. Dude, who signs... cares, man? Adrian yeah, well, Martinez
1: who... could win the Heisman there.
0: Ooh, okay. Hold on. Let's let me run through this thought. Let me run through a couple stimulations in my brain here. How many turnovers could Ohio, Could an Ohio State quarterback get away with before he'd be replaced by the blue chip behind him and lose his opportunity to rack up stats for the Heisman? Um, I'm doing like, it, again, you can't see me doing this because it's a podcast, but you can picture like the Dr. Oh, Strange thing. no, 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 he, no. Here's what like I'm reading doing. All these, reading all these potential realities, like how, in what circumstance would that happen? That's
1: not what I'm picturing. What I'm picturing is the gift from that Big Ten commercial where it's Tim Beckman like staring at things on a clear chalkboard.
0: yeah with a look (laughs) of wonderment like who wrote on these things who wrote on the window (laughs) oh brother um so that's an interesting exercise we might have to revisit that at some point but anyway uh the thought is that cj stroud is probably the leader there he's the only one with any real game experience um i mean shoot one of the candidates is supposed to be a high school senior right now. Uh, Presumably Stroud is going to be the starter week one and all expectations are that he'll be very good off the bat because he's got an elite offensive line and an incredible wide receiver group in front of him. A little bit of a different look in the running back room to be sure, but I still think Travion Henderson and Master T are going to be enough of a one-two punch that all Stroud has to do is not be freshman Art Sitkowski, which seems impossible at Ohio state and, They should be just fine, but we'll see. Maybe there's a surprise and somebody else has secretly taken hold of that. In either case, for Minnesota to keep up here, boy, think back to to Minnesota's defensive performances from last year. They got a little bit better down the stretch, that's true, and they do have a good amount of experience because of how bad they were last year. But in what circumstances are they – like picture Minnesota's linebackers in coverage on – Ohio state's guys in the slot, like, like, you know, Smith and Jigba who's who hasn't really done much for Ohio state yet, but by all accounts is going to be their next superstar receiver. And then he lines up against Mariano story Marin uh, because of a mismatch or um, a quick tempo thing or something like how, how does this game work out in Minnesota's favor? I just don't see Ohio it. Ohio
1: state when when Ohio state marches all the way through the big 10 championship game with mm-hmm. all 10 wins uh, they will have won more consecutive conference games than early aughts Miami.
0: Consider that and consider the conference that Miami was playing in at the time. They were not in a conference.
1: They were in the Big uh, East.
0: Yeah, they were not in a conference of Florida State or with modern Clemson. Uh, they were in the early 2000s Big East. about think the Big East was a little better back then um, than the more than the version we remember before it collapsed. But, but that's
1: what we're talking about here. I really don't even think of them as being in the same league because it's like, When you talk about teams in the same league, usually you expect results against them to mean something. I mean, do you think that results from your games against Ohio State mean anything?
0: No. And that's if you think big picture, I think this is probably true for each of us. Like given where our teams are, the the goal within like the next two to three seasons is can we be the one that has the number one contender belt? to have the best shot to take Ohio state down. (laughs) That's where the rest of us are. Um, And we could. there's all kinds of conversations you can have about why that's a healthy place for a conference to be, but what exactly is there to be done about it from the top? I mean, the other schools just have to do better. And so by the time we can
1: check, by the time we can take that belt there, Ohio state's going to be gone. Um, But you know, that that gives you an idea of how I feel about this game because of what we're talking about. I don't want to disrespect Minnesota, but like, you have to understand what we're talking about here. Like I don't think minute I have minutes and I have Minnesota as eight and four, right. I have them as a solid team. Um, I, I just, you know, Ohio state has, has Ohio state has played solid teams, solid big 10 teams and sent them home like 56 to three.
0: That's true. He, if you're looking for ways in which this realistically will be kept close though. I think Minnesota might have an angle that most other teams don't. And that is, I do think their run game should be able to get some traction against Ohio State. Ohio State's obviously hugely talented defensively, but they've got a lot of new guys. And, yeah, I know Haskell Garrett's back, and he's really good. They've got these killer defensive ends. Um, But their linebacking group is very new, talented, but new, or upperclassmen who haven't played much. Their defense is going to be substantially more vulnerable than their offense early on. Minnesota wants to run the ball a lot anyway.
1: Minnesota does have enough of a passing game That they can keep Ohio State honest for at least the first half, so that is going to be interesting. But they can't—they can't really afford to not score touchdowns,
0: right? So, well, here's the thinking to me, which is that if, especially if Otman Bell is able to play and be most of his normal self, to give them a deep ball threat. If they get any traction with Ibrahim early on, and they can, you know, he's a guy that you can easily give the ball to thirty times and be confident he's going to get better as he goes on. If, he get, if they get into a lather with this good offensive line, this excellent run-blocking offensive line, such that they're able to hold the ball and keep Ohio State's offense off the field, well, then all it takes is, again, keep in mind, Ohio State's got a new quarterback, whoever it is. If, you know, say, the guy misses a couple throws on the first series or two, such that they have to punt, and then Minnesota gets the ball back, either up a field goal or a touchdown, and they go on another long drive. And now the quarterback who made a couple mistakes, even if they're little ones, has to sit there and think about it for a long time. And by the time he gets back on the field, maybe he feels a little bit of pressure start to ratchet up because not only is he playing for Ohio State on the road, you know, expecting to go to the playoff at the end of the season, but he's looking at three blue chips on the sideline next to him. And who knows how close the competition ends up being. Maybe it's a thing that's decided on the last day of camp, such that he knows, look, it was really close. Coach thinks that at least one of these other guys is almost as good as me. I need to be good right now. And maybe he forces something, and, or, or there's a mix-up in the communication, or a play call, or something that he doesn't get. I'm just saying it, it, there are stranger things have happened. I'm not predicting. I'm not predicting a win by any means, but there, there. Look, it, it, death stars do blow up occasionally, right?
1: So I have a question. Let's say that Mohammed Ibrahim manages to keep the clock rolling such that it is the first play of the fourth quarter when Homie enters the game player to be named later, the Ohio State starting quarterback, enters the game again, down seven, and throws a pick six. Is his name in the transfer portal by the end of the game?
0: (laughs) Um, Interesting question, right? Because in that situation, even knowing that the three backup options you have are very talented, uh, there's a good chance that whoever it is has very little game experience. Are you really going to turn to somebody in that situation and be like, all right, you go fix it? Um,
1: what if he sucks to it? Yeah. Why not? You're a pro football team. You're I, um, you're every I, bit a professional football team.
0: Well, that's okay, what you do. So, no, hold on. No, 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 no. Hold on. Let's carry that analogy out then. If Drew Brees fucks up early in the fourth quarter at any point in his career in New Orleans, they don't. Pull him and put in Jameis Winston or, you know, Sean Mannion or whoever was back. Counterpoint, if they
1: had, they'd have won the game last year in the playoffs. But I digress.
0: You know that last year was a totally different situation from what I'm talking about. Yes, but so so
1: too is an experienced Drew Brees because we're not talking about guys with game experience, are we?
0: Right, but you see, you tried to compare it to an NFL situation. That's not what it is with a new quarterback in college. As talented as they are, you still it's not reasonable to assume that they're automatically going to be good. And this is the same point that I tried to make when we had our preseason rankings. Everybody else on this site linked the unnamed Ohio State quarterback as the best of the conference. That's preposterous. You don't even know who it is. How could you possibly know he's going to be the best quarterback? That's funny
1: because when we did that, Quinn Ewers wasn't even –
0: an option <laughs> <laughs> so but, wait uh, a second
1: if Quinn Ewers starts then that means that that the guy that was there was technically not even on the guy that yeah
0: guy that, that, that would mean that, that them
1: that, was not even on our list
0: right yeah and he was still named the preseason quarterback or player the whatever what, co- quarterback of the year by Off-Tackle Empire Quinn Ewers Texas quarterback Texas quarterback no uh, class of 2022 quarterback yeah um, so all right anyway we spend enough time on that look
1: look i put down um a, a, a fairly large sum of money on ohio state minus 225 to win the big 10 because i can't believe they would pay me back nearly 40 percent for ohio state to win the big 10 there's no chance they don't even if indiana beats them i don't trust indiana to not lose two games
0: probably so um i think you tend to you have a tendency to do a little bit of a chicken little thing with Ohio state and you're doing it here again. Cause I'm just trying, we're just trying to talk about, look, is there any way this game is interesting? What angles is Minnesota tagging for? And, and here you are once again, running around in a circle, shouting about how much better than they are than the rest of us. Um, I'm not saying that you're necessarily wrong. I'm saying like
1: I don't want to talk about him anymore. Let's talk about Temple Rutgers.
0: I tried to, and then you, and then you, and then you you said, "Hey, I put a lot of money on them to win the conference." So anyway, it's
1: an investment, man. If I had a guaranteed forty percent return in three months, I'd do it. (laughs) So Remple is the game.
0: You know, considering that Temple was a one-win team last season, this game may actually be a little more interesting than it looks on paper, and. Obviously, we're all quite confident about Rutgers given the steps they made in the first year under Greg Schiano's return tour. Um, interesting thing about Temple, though, they had a whole bunch of new players last year. Um, they also bring in an important... Do you remember the name Dwan Mathis? I
1: do, but I don't know why.
0: He, at one point, was a Michigan State prospect, a guy that they were aggressively recruiting, he ended up committing to Ohio State, did not stay there long, went to Georgia. He was actually Georgia's opening day starter last year. <laughs> Do you remember that? But he was he was either injured or benched almost immediately. JT Daniels was hurt. Uh, Jamie Newman sat out and so he was kind of the last man standing at the beginning of the year. But he didn't last long. I think he ended up getting hurt himself, and then um, uh, what the hell was the guy's name? The the tiny little walk on who ended up starting for Georgia most of the season. Uh, but anyway, Mathis didn't stick around. He transferred again, so he's now at Temple. Still, again, still a former well-regarded dual threat prospect. Um, he's Stinson got. Stephen
1: Bennett is the guy.
0: Yes, that's the guy who ended up being the starter. not that that mattered, but anyway, um, he's got. A threat in Jaden Blue, who was over a 1,000 yards in 2019. Again, it's a seven-game sample last year, and they they had a lot of guys opt out. They had a lot of guys get hurt. So they were playing a lot of new guys. They don't have a huge talent base to begin with. They did lose um, Arnold Akiti to Penn State via transfer. But still, I wouldn't necessarily look past this game if you're Rutgers. I don't think Rutgers is at a point where they can afford to look past anybody, especially – a team in the American conference like temple is not an automatic win for anybody in the bottom half of the big 10. So I think Rutgers has to be careful of this game. They should still be the better team. If they continue the development curve, they should win pretty handily, but temple is a little bit of a live wire. And there's also kind of the regional thing. Um, Temple being in Philadelphia, Rutgers in New Jersey, this, you know, agreeing to play a team like that always has some risks because presumably many temple guys would have liked to play in the big 10 for, even if it's for Rutgers. And so, Maybe a little more interesting than that game would appear on paper. I'd still feel pretty good if I'm the Fighting Shianos, but not a foregone conclusion by any means.
1: Yeah, I just don't know that much about Temple. It's they have fallen.
0: They have fallen off the radar in a big way the last. Couple you want
1: to. You want to consider like my first impression of them is still the Matt Rule Temple, which yeah, you still you still
0: think defense. they're yeah, you probably still think they're crazy good defensively, that but they're still capable. Like, yeah. But and that's it's crazy he, because,
1: like, I also don't understand quite what Rod Carey's deal is because he kind of just was like, meh. He, like he was, he he took over for guys that he took over for Dave Doran at Northern Illinois, who had taken yeah. over from Jerry Kill, and proceeded to kind of they weren't as good, but they still occasion like they got to the title game the one time, and then um, oh no, they actually won that one.
0: Yeah, that was the one we were at, wasn't it? Where they came back
1: yeah and because i'm from illinois and my mom went there for a master's i was i was kind of i was kind of pumped and y'all were very sad you cried some serious uh spencer no no oh my god what was the guy's name spencer tears
0: um i don't remember i certainly don't remember
1: (laughs) yeah it was you cried some serious spencer tears that's what that's the guy Was he he
0: the very short receiver who had, who like jumped out of the building?
1: I believe so. Yes.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. yeah,
1: So, so we're talking about a coach whose legacy at Northern Illinois is like mixed um, given, you know, what he did versus his predecessors Uh, going to, you know, now in his uh, third year as the temple head coach, after of course they had that false start hiring Manny Diaz. It's, I just don't know what to make of it.
0: No. Well, you know, in 2009 they, or 19, they did make it to eight and five. And then it was really like last year went about as badly for them as it could have. I think they're going to be better this year. I think this is a win that would age well if Rutgers can get it. And like I said, it, this is a team that could beat Rutgers pretty easily if they don't play, if they don't continue to show marked improvement.
1: Well, um, well, here's the thing though. They got Thad Ward, the guy who came up with the phrase Liddyville at Illinois, notably Liddyville Went four and one or no, no, no. Uh, three and one because he was gone by 2020 against Rutger. Okay. Well, maybe he left uh, after 2018. I don't know.
0: I guess they've got a little bit of an inside angle, but uh, to keep this moving. The one Friday night game, Michigan state at Northwestern.
1: We're going to have some live on-site reporting there. Both of our correspondents, both of us are going to be there.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm going to be pretty drunk by then if all goes according to plan. So we'll see how I go about convincing security at Ryan Field that I'm uh, a licensed me- them you know a, a credential member of the press, but we'll see what we can do to get you know field level, um, maybe get into one of the locker rooms, and introduce some guys. But I've as I've said repeatedly, I don't know, I-
1: man. It's at Northwestern. Maybe we just like go down to where nobody's yeah. sitting.
0: Yeah, you just go down like the six-foot berm that separates the field from the first row of seats like you're at a high school game, and, and it's fine. Um,
1: and then the event staff tries to stop you, and you're like, bro, you're at a Northwestern game. Chill.
0: Yeah, yeah relax. Nobody's doing anything energetic here. It's fine. Uh, as I've said repeatedly over the Would you the like entire-
1: to see my Tolstoy? To say, okay,
0: so I'm just going to complete this thought this time. I don't know what <laughs> to make of Northwestern of Michigan State in this game because and I don't know how anyone could. They've got 40 new players since last season. They're installing a system with their first real complete offseason since the coaching staff was hired. Um, I feel like they're going to be better. I don't know how much better, and I don't think I'm going to know after this game either because Northwestern is this weird null zone of quality regarding their opponents. Where yeah, they could be they could beat almost anybody and lose to almost anybody. So. I wonder if that's going to continue to be true. I wonder what we'll see out of starting quarterback Hunter Johnson, who looked terrible in the past, but there again, for reasons we've discussed, it turned out to be pretty good reasons for that. So he still obviously has the talent in him at some, in some capacity. I don't think he's got the weapons, but we'll see. You know, you assume the defense is going to be good. This game probably doesn't get out of the twenties, regardless of how it goes. Um, or maybe it turns into one of the random absolute barn burners between these two teams. And it's 58, 56 at the end of regulation. So all that just to say, again, I have no earthly idea what to expect here. I, by all rights, Northwestern is the better team, but that was the case last year too. And we saw how that went.
1: Yeah. When does that ever matter? So I'm going to go back to our discussion in our Slack channel on the Sunday morning coming down thing where in some thread that we had, I I simply said, look, not that you don't know this, but man, this was absolutely a game they couldn't afford to lose. And they were talking about how could they get to a bowl? And then somebody was saying, you know, Northwestern, like, I don't think they could win at Northwestern to which MN Wildcat said, what I think is an evergreen thought. Anyone who knows how a Northwestern game will finish is lying. Yeah. So
0: I, we could easily see a Michigan State win here and in my um, presumed enthusiastic state, maybe I'll drop some hot takes worth remembering. I kind of doubt it though. I even drunk, I don't think I'm necessarily going to predict a nine win season on Michigan State even if they win this game.
1: I think that Northwestern will lose this game only because it's their first game of the season. It's early September. It would this also is be- the Northwestern you want.
0: It would also be terribly funny if they lose this game and then run the table and get left out of the playoff because their one loss is to like a four win Michigan State team or something. I have them be, losing to, be...
1: Yeah, I have them losing to Duke and Nebraska and then running that like winning their last five or something.
0: <laughs> Probably not the most ridiculous prediction you could make again based on our past data. Okay, so we'll move now to the full slate of games on Saturday, a mixture of non-con and conference games. We'll start with the out-of-conference Western Michigan at Michigan. Um, Certain Michigan fans that I have encountered, I don't know about you, are being fake anxious about this game, saying, oh, Harbaugh's done such a disastrous job, we might lose to Western. I haven't dropped this stat on him yet, but I know you've seen it out there um, such that Scott Frost would have to go, what is it? 37 and one or something yep. like that to match Jim Harbaugh's current Michigan record. If you want a comparison of how the 10 years are going. So Michigan fans who want to be all, what was me about this? Get over yourselves. All that being said, Western does not have a talent to stand up to Michigan, especially in the big house. They're starting a former Michigan state skill player at running back. So That's all there is to say, in my opinion.
1: They're Um, a passing team that should be pretty decent against teams that don't have five stars in their defensive backfield. If Michigan loses this game, they need to immediately fire everybody. Yeah,
0: sure. So the only proviso there is this is Michigan's first game implementing a completely new defensive scheme where they're doing all this pattern matching and more NFL concepts imported from the Ravens versus Don Brown straight man across the board all the time i mean honestly this is the type of game where if they were still running down brown system you'd expect them to put up a goose egg on western and get seven or eight sacks or whatever so
1: this and, western and, michigan know, I mean, is not pj fleck western but no. it is a lot like bill cubit western michigan which is to yeah. say they've got a passing attack that could keep them in games against much better teams and really really annoy him but if you lose this game then you're 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 ron zook
0: Yeah, more or less. So probably not much to see here. Spread's probably going to settle, what, somewhere in the mid-20s, I would guess. It wouldn't be the dumbest idea, because again, Western's defense is not going to be able to stand up to what should be a very good Michigan run game, and this is probably an instance where, with a new group of offensive linemen, they're going to look to establish the run early, often, repeatedly, um, as Jim Harbaugh's want to do anyway. Uh, Moving on to, we mentioned this game earlier, and also just a minute ago Fordham at Nebraska um, Fordham an FCS team out of, I believe New York city, or is it just New York state? Um, but either way, not exactly a North Dakota state, um, not a terrible FCS team. I don't think Although it's been a couple of years since I looked at them in any detail, but really the, the only drama here is does the sellout streak continue for Nebraska? They'll probably say that it does, even if it's a lie. So why is that a story? I don't know.
1: I think we may um, have seen the most Nebraska fans in a Memorial <laughs> Stadium that we're going to see this year.
0: Right, but in, in terms of whether the sellout streak continues, the only way that we know that is based on what the school says. And what well, the look,
1: <laughs> you tell Nebraska that there's going to be Ham, and you tell Nebraska that there's going to be Fords?
0: Oh, shit. They like oh, both it. of them
1: things. So, <laughs> you were talking about this whole <sighs> Scott Frost would have to go this record and this He would have to win his next nine games to match the record of Mike Riley at Nebraska to match his win percentage.
0: I'm just going to let that one sit there for a second. That's quite a little
1: bit of sizzle right there. You're gonna you're gonna let that sink in and let it use your bathroom.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're keeping it runs a theme, aren't we? I I, I was gonna say I'm just gonna put that one on the grill and uh, let it let it go for a little bit. So. We've discussed this next matchup really only in the context of one player, Texas San Antonio, featuring Sincere McCormick at Illinois.
1: This is a much more dangerous running game than Nebraska.
0: As it turns out, probably going to be the case. Not even
1: joking. I am a bit concerned about this game because, I mean, really what's going to happen here is we're going to need our secondary to be able to take down their passing attack because – I trust that we will adjust to stuff the box against sincere McCormick. And if we stuff the box against even the best, what are they? Are they? No, even against the best CUSA running attack, we should have the advantage um, athletically to be able to shut it down. But that's only if, you know, then the uh, the three guys that you have defending in the backfield can shut down. what's What's, what's been a bit of a, you know, an uneven passing attack for UTSA. Sure. They went... They had a winning record. They were a competitive team. I am really concerned about sincere McCormick. I, I'm not going to lie. I've been on the record saying this. Uh, I could absolutely see. I mean, we've we've we went down 21 to six to a much worse UTSA team, although our coach was Tim Beckman then.
0: And so you, your concern about McCormick is earnest, you would say that's that's a good adjective for it.
1: I would say that my concern is really genuinely heartfelt uh, about okay, Mr. McCormick good. here.
0: I can't think of a better word for it. So I'm glad, that we, I'm glad that we're more or less on the same page on that. Although I will say that you trying to convince me that UTSA is and should be a legit threat to Illinois after, again seeing an offseason and now one game of confidence from Brett Bielma. This is, this is what, you, what you're doing right now is how I feel trying to talk you back from doom spiraling about Ohio State every
1: time. Well, they... I have a question. Do you think Nebraska would beat UTSA? Probably, I'm not sure. Yeah.
0: Probably. Can you oh, – hold on, hold on, hold on. We're not in the same place, so I can't check your tabs, but I'm, I'm going to ask your scout's honor on this. Can you name another player on UTSA's roster right now?
1: I don't. I don't need to. He's our best fantasy uh-huh. player.
0: Uh huh. Okay. There you go. So <laughs> against the big time. I can team, name all
1: kinds of players on Nebraska. I know them for doing terrible things.
0: Sure. I'll. I'll. Here's what I'll warrant you: if UTSA's coach, who I couldn't name, had access to Nebraska's talent, you might be in a lot more trouble. And but by the same token, you know, it. I. I, I think I we're I gonna know.
1: win this game. Yeah. I do. I do. I just think that it might not be quite as smooth sailing as was, say, the uh, middle eight minutes of the Nebraska-Illinois game.
0: (laughs) Okay, but think about the selectivism. uh, (laughs) You don't think this entire game is going to go as well as the one fantastic stretch of football he played? (laughs) What are you talking about? Of course it won't. oh god all right um okay so we next I'll, we'll move now to what I'll call the interesting non-conference games of the week uh not the tempo records isn't interesting but i come on find something else to do with your Thursday night um Oregon State at Purdue question for you Steve Thumpasaurus Braun can you name Oregon State's head coach without looking
1: oh my god is I feel like his first name it, it like I feel like either his first name is John or his last name is Smith
0: (laughs) It is John Smith. Yes.
1: Oh my God. Yeah.
0: Now. Okay. So hang on, hang on, hang on. Before you give yourself so much credit, statistically speaking in terms of the demographics of college football coaches, you had a decent chance there. Right. Um, And so I actually
1: did know specifically that thing. (laughs) It's just that I was thinking John Smith, but then I was thinking, wait, am I thinking John L Smith? Wait, it's either a John or a Smith.
0: You might look, you might as well be thinking John Smith as far as Dan concerned. Smith, BYU. So, how long would you say John Smith has been the coach at Oregon State?
1: I think this is his third year.
0: It's his fourth. Okay, fourth, so you, okay. you got closer. I was assuming you'd do what I did, which was, man, that Gary Anderson thing where he just walked away from the team in the middle of the year, that was crazy. That was like four whole months ago. But no, out it was four years ago, and you wouldn't know because you haven't heard anything from Oregon State since then.
1: No, I actually – I do know two things about them. I know two things about them. I know Jake Luton, and I know Jamar Jefferson, neither of whom are with the team anymore. Yeah. Graduated, so they, they had... I know, yeah. <laughs> Anybody that shows up in this college football fantasy thing uh, remotely just shows up, has a good week is going to catch my radar at some point. And so I, I, all I know to expect from them is, uh, oh, and I know Zariah Beeson who was uh, a one-time Illinois um, recruit. So Yeah.
0: Well, they're um, they're most likely starter at quarterback. Oh, I don't think this has been decided for sure yet is uh, Tristan Gebbia, a former <laughs> Nebraskan. And, uh, boy, wouldn't it be nice if Nebraska had a little bit of depth in their quarterback room such that they didn't have to stick with Adrian Martinez now, it always comes back to the Huskers, man. I'll tell you. Um, but anyway, he's most likely going to be their starter at quarterback. As you mentioned, Jamar Jefferson's gone. It, they, they don't really have a clear backup of that level. They've brought in a few transfers from other places that could be interesting. Um, there's Trishon Harrison, that wide receiver who could be useful, um, of a Georgia transfer, Makia Tongue, which is a pretty solid name. <laughs> um, give that name a slurp, but you don't expect Oregon State to be. I'll put it this way, if Oregon State is a serious threat to Purdue, let alone if they beat them, um, Jeff Bromson in quietly a lot of trouble. Um, he's never going to get the press or the coverage that Scott Frost did. And he had a little bit more goodwill from, you know, whomping on Ohio State early on. That has, I think, buoyed him higher despite really having a comparably disappointing results the last couple of years. And we, when we were talking about Purdue in the off season, we mentioned that the excuses probably kind of have to stop this year. I'm not saying Brom has spilled many of them out there, but if you're, I mean, if nobody else, then from guys like me who are fans of him and his style of play, they've got to put up in the win loss column this year and losing to a team like Oregon state in your debut week of the season, that's not going to be a good sign. So. Well, in play, Purdue about to win this actually.
1: Game. Yeah. We talked about this. Well, what we didn't talk about is that Makia tongue is apparently the son of, I looked this up, Reggie tongue former Chiefs and Seahawks defensive back. That's what I thought about. But anyway, to get back to what we're talking about, yeah. we texted about, well, what happened to Scott Frost? Was he always just kind of a shitty football coach? And we, you know, we saw, we, we, we said that he didn't actually take over nothing at UCF, that 0-12 oh, season was just two years after they won the Fiesta Bowl with Blake Bortles. It wasn't totally yeah. bare, but he was a guy who was a brilliant play caller, a, a football genius um, at, you know, the top-end G5 conference. Really, the American and the Mountain West are the two big dogs, right? And, uh, and even that even has before, not translated. Yeah.
0: Even that before is, that when he was a coordinator at Oregon, because there was a coordinator experience in there, too. That yeah, was Just,
1: just that. A, a play calling, a football genius, a wonderkind. And, and he continued to do that, stepping into his own as a head coach in a group of five team there. And it has not translated at all. He's proven to be like, honestly, like just done unbelievably stupid things. That's the question. Was he always a dumb football coach? No, I just don't think that he ever had quite what it took to manage a, a you, know, an FB, you know, Power Five football program on this level when you talk about, you know, it's just when you when you're playing with this caliber of players, it is different. And you you take on more of a managerial position. And what better example of that than Jeff Brom?
0: Yeah. Well, and, and you know, the the other thing to remember about Oregon State, uh, which I should have meant Bob a second ago, is uh, they did beat Oregon last year. <laughs> so it's not like they're it's not like this is a coaching staff with no chops whatsoever. It's just they've kind of flown under the radar being Oregon State in. In a, in a they're in a honestly they're in a position not unlike michigan state unless they're extremely good it's pretty easy to ignore them from a national perspective well, um, about yeah this I, being I've, a
1: prove it year for jeff brahm uh i don't jeff think that's Jeff Brom has won the same number of games over the last three years as lovey smith
0: That's tough. And it's also a stat that loses a little bit of meaning in the context of a shorter schedule last year. But again, they won their first two games and then went over the rest of the season. It's not like playing a couple more would have made you hugely confident they're going to get to six wins or something. So
1: would you rather go 4-6-2 or Um, hmm. (laughs) 6-4-2? You'd rather do neither, but still, (laughs) Brom did the latter. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I I don't think I have a good answer for that. So I mean, um, really,
1: the big difference between him and Scott Frost is he's not recruiting as well. He has actually he has actually won things at Purdue, although not that many. He won one game that was enormous. He went to a bowl in his first season. Uh, I mean, he he's been to two bowl games. He's won more, um, and he hasn't embarrassed himself at the press conferences, but.
0: It's still a fair question of whether that's enough.
1: Yeah, it is start their their trajectories are starting to look a little too similar. Yeah. You do not want to be compared to Scott Frost.
0: And in the context of this Oregon State game, David Bell will be the best player on the field. George Carlaftis will probably be the second best player on the field. You you could go down the line a little bit from there, depending on how you feel about, you know, Aiden O'Connell or whoever. Um, but they've got the be- they've got the best playmakers at premier positions on both sides of the ball. Uh, This is the second year of a considerably better defensive staff. I'm sorry, no, a a new defensive staff. So they've got to show signs of things coming together here. Or I think the questions have to start being asked about a guy who, again, not all that long ago turned down a big money offer from his alma mater to take a huge stack of money from Purdue. And now you're left kind of wondering, well, what happened since then? Did he he really just get the check and nail it in after that?
1: Well, Um, hey. Um, what I need to mention is that actually it turns out AOC, uh, got primaried by Jack Plummer.
0: Did they make that decision? They did. I have, three
1: I days ago. That. Jeff. Brom, had, that's recent. Uh, yeah, it turns out, uh, AOC was defeated by Jack Plummer in, in, uh, her district's primary.
0: <laughs> that is too poetic, isn't it? Um, yeah, man. Look, Jack the Plumber is, uh, Well, look, he people.
1: had, he had huge, Plummer had huge backing from the fossil fuel industry,
0: <laughs> from out of state. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so they no, but I'm, anyway,
1: it, it, there we've we've done this before with those two, where it's really statistically difficult to tell them apart.
0: Yeah, I, I, it's fair to say that Plummer's a little better at evading the rush, which is why O'Connell doesn't usually make it through the season. Yeah, Plummer's you know, gonna bad. be
1: in there anyway. Why not just go with him from the get go?
0: Yeah. Who knows? It could be as simple as that. Um, so he's got the, be- okay, he's got one of the best weapons in the conference throw to um, Horvath was an underrated rated weapon in the run game for them last year. You'd need more diversification and production there, but um, Purdue's got, Purdue really needs to win this game. I-, I think if they don't, then more eyes nationwide will look at this and be like, what, wait, 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 last time we thought about Purdue, their head coach was a hot shot turning down Louisville, getting a big raise. Um, how exactly are they losing to Oregon State? I, yeah, I think that's a question that will be asked more. They, if they had the Ohio
1: it. State game, but so too did Illinois have the Wisconsin game.
0: Yeah, and that was also – that was in 2018, correct? Yep. <laughs> that's a little bit of dust on that to not have any more recent accomplishments. for an, A coach who I still think is thought of as something of an up-and-cover. So moving to our other – what I would refer to as interesting non-conference game, West Virginia at Maryland. Steve, did you know West Virginia was actually pretty good again last year?
1: I actually didn't. I hadn't thought too much about them.
0: Yeah, they um they ended up six and four overall. Um, and really their statistics indicated that honestly they're they're not bad. They've got they actually they had the best pass defense in the country last year. Would you ever Jesus. associate West Virginia as having the best pass defense in the country?
1: No, but it's interesting because uh Neil Neil Brown, right? That's their coach. Yeah. Uh let's see. Does he in fact did he in fact bring um who was their defensive coordinator oh gerard parker because he got rid of the best defensive coordinator illinois ever had i believe oh no he he wasn't even in there wow oh yeah yeah he was fit cunning was the coordinator in 2019 and uh, former nfl quarterback matt moore i think was the offensive coordinator anyway i'm just jumping all around here so yeah but say so- they, they, they had a new coordinator last year under neil brown who was a defensive guy at troy that's where he comes from. It's his second season. It's going to be his third season as head coach.
0: Well, yeah, and let me ask you this. So if I were to say that West Virginia had two um, had two guys on the defensive line, two excellent players who were brothers, um, and, again, they play for West Virginia, what would you assume their last name is?
1: I don't know. I just can't stop thinking about two brothers in a van. <laughs> and Sorry. then a meteor hit.
0: Right, I I should have known yep. that I was gonna. So okay,
1: so go on with it.
0: Um, so the Stills brothers, of course. Um, ah, the Stills. You, <laughs> if you talk about West Virginia football, you gotta make sure that you account for where the Stills are. Um, so they they have a couple of returning <laughs> stalwarts there. Their defense has is gonna have a lot of newer pieces on it, but there's reason to believe that they ought to be able to put this together. Uh, they have a returning starter in Jared. Is it Jared Doji or Doge? You could Dang. probably tell me. It's yeah. Daggy. Are, are you serious? All right.
1: No, it's Daggy um, because he's he's related to former Texas Tech quarterback Seth Daggy.
0: Seth Daggy. Yeah, I wondered who, if there was yeah. a connection. Yeah. All right.
1: He absolutely is because you'll recall at the time it was culturally relevant their whole cheer was teach me how to Daggy, teach me, teach me how to Daggy.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well I can't I can't okay so before I was thinking you know I don't really have a dog in this fight but knowing that there's that kind of connection I can't in good conscience root for West Virginia in this game so uh, <laughs> good grief if this is going to be an interesting test for Maryland's reconstructing run defense in particular uh, West Virginia has a running back Luddy Brown who is excellent he went over a thousand yards in a short schedule last year so if their infusion of talent up front hasn't yet translated into a better unit they're out right away um this is a team of again a returning quarterback really good offensive line and an excellent lead running back plus a lot of depth there so um and, you know honestly in a lot of ways there's some similarities to how maryland's offenses are built here um but we'll you know we'll see how this looks it- Looking at a little bit more serious of an X's and O's perspective here. This is going to be a good early test for Maryland. What I assume will be kind of a new look defensive front for Maryland. They were terrible against the run last year. They brought in this huge infusion of talent on the defensive line and the linebacking group um, West Virginia. In addition to having that returning quarterback has a lot of returning experience on the offensive line. They have a running back in Letty Brown who went over a thousand yards in 10 games so they are a serious threat on the ground there. It's, it's not the Holgerson sling it all over the place. They're much more of a balanced offense. Now, if Maryland's defense is not materially better up front, they're going to know it right away.
1: Neil Brown was very high on my coaching prospects list a few years ago, back when, you know, during the, the, the interminable times when I had to have that list at the ready at all times, um, because he was able to go toe to toe with SEC teams, I believe didn't they beat LSU one of those years?
0: Um, I thought they it was got... either
1: LSU or Auburn.
0: I thought they got really close to beating LSU, and then there was a bullshit call that like ended the game. Well, either way, the point... they
1: they held their own against you know like NFL laden yeah. defenses, running a balanced attack and playing physical defense. So that yeah, I'm, sure. I'm really interested to see that because they seem like a very like 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 what neil brown wants to do is have a team that controls the game and play very disciplined and uh, if i know mike loxley and ron zook <laughs> what they want to do is exactly the opposite
0: yeah what they what they want to do basically is um something that you would expect from like a low-key variant uh basically i, I, I haven't ruled out the possibility that ron zook is a loki variant by the way do you uh-huh. think
1: that Mike Loxley knows better than to keep Ron Zook away from actually coaching anything. Like, do do, do, do you think he's got him actually doing special teams or do you think he knows, Hey dude, this guy actually went to do special teams where that was the only thing he did up in green Bay. And they were the worst in the league at it.
0: I don't know. Uh, You could make a compelling argument (laughs) to me either way. I think
1: I'm really Um, curious. I mean, maybe Ron Zook's passion is special teams. Like his other passion is graphic design, of course, but Maybe his passion really is special teams. And it's just, he's just really bad at it. And he just wants to keep doing it.
0: You know, you always see it, Banny, about like, it's it's okay to not monetize everything. Like, it's fine to just have passion <laughs> products. Like, this podcast is a good example. It, you know, relative to the amount of time we put into it, the remuneration is truly, like, the on an hourly rate, it's just dismal. And you know, I don't think fine. I'm even
1: getting those checks anymore.
0: Yeah, that that's fine. Like...
1: I'm not... I'm not paying for hosting anymore. So that's really all I care about.
0: Right. That's as long as we're not losing money on something like this, isn't, you know, like pottery or metalworking where we're going to have raw materials expenses
1: or Um, fixing up your car to take it to car shows where it's like, hey, I really want other people to think my car is cool.
0: Dude, don't get me started. I, that was, one of the more fortuitous things about the timing of this vacation is we didn't have to be around for dream cruise. So anyway, I hope
1: my dad uh, doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm sure it's right up Ken's alley, but all right, we, 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 we have no
1: idea. Here. So Penn state at Wisconsin, one of the two actually compelling matchups besides MSU Northwestern that we're getting in conference play.
0: Yeah. One of two matchups we get in week one of big 10 of ranked big 10 teams playing each other. Um, it's tough to know what to expect from Penn state because they were such a study in contrast first half versus second half of last season. Naturally, if you're a Penn state fan, the tendency would be to say, well, the second half was more recent. So that's more important. Okay. You can think that if you want, you, they do have some questions to answer, you know, defensive line, cornerback. um, some turnover there, but you've got carryover at their receiver and quarterback positions that'll be helpful. The offensive line is not great, but there are a couple pieces there that are really good. So you would expect the offense is probably going to be decent to begin with. And if nothing else, there's certainly a lot of talent on the defense from Wisconsin's perspective about all you can say here is the pieces are really all in place. Do you find the guy to be the dominant running back that you need, and sure. why are you not just yeah? Why are you not just giving 25 carries a game to Jalen Berger? Is that going to happen this year? Do you feel that he's ready? Because again, the offensive line should be awesome. You still have Ferguson. Your wide receivers are still underwhelming, and the shine really came off Graham those first couple games last year. So yeah. this is, I mean, really, this should look like a traditional Wisconsin offense, which is to say most of the time your opponent's not going to be able to stop the running game anyway. So what does it matter if you kind of suck in the, through the air?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, there was such, there were, there was very little data on Wisconsin last year and the Penn state data was kind of like a corrupted save file. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, if I don't know what to make of this. this, this should, I mean, this is an important game, but I don't quite know how to, I mean, Wisconsin wants to control this game. I have to imagine that they're going to, that both teams are going to try running the ball first Wisconsin, because it's what they're comfortable doing Penn state, because they couldn't do it last year. And they are going to want to prove that they can, right? Because yeah. you have got a big physical team like that, that should be able to do it. That's what you want to do. Of course you have Devin Ford there. Who's just got, who's got, who comes into this game armed with knowledge for a situation. He'll probably never face again on when to go down when you have a clear path to score
0: oh yeah I'd forgotten he was like, the one
1: who did that and, yeah. I, and I've been thinking about that and like how many times do you think that about times in your life where you did something that you ended up being the wrong thing and you think well at least I learned how to handle this situation that I'll never ever encounter in my <laughs> life again how many times yeah. does that happen it's just like no, actually, no. I can't gain anything from it. I just took a big fat L, and I'm never going to have the opportunity to redeem <laughs> myself from it.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a kind of an interesting thing you touch on there. It's not just that there's Evan Ford, but with him, Noah Kane, Kevon Lee, Keziah Holmes, Penn State actually has the deeper and better group of running backs. Not for um, sure by
1: a wide margin, but it's never been yeah. about the raw talent of the backs of the Wisconsin it's about the system it's about the offensive line
0: right and, and that yeah, I, mean, I,
1: I don't know how how much hay they'll be able to make against a Penn State front seven that's always talented but it's relatively unproven
0: yeah I I would probably because of that unproven quality to the Penn State defense I would probably say this game leans in Wisconsin's favor the game's also in Camp Randall which always yep. helps um So we'll see there, but again, assuming that Penn State's quarterback rotation has stabilized a little bit, which it kind of did down the stretch last year, um, they've certainly got the more dynamic weapons. You'd still think they're going to hit a couple of big plays. Um, I'd probably give the edge to Wisconsin here. Home field helps, but it's probably going to be a compelling game, Um, as will the last game of our slate be, which is Indiana at Iowa.
1: I'm going to say for PSU at Wisconsin – I like Wisconsin, but I'm going to take the under in the first half.
0: Probably so, yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if, again, because Penn State is, sort. I think it's an obvious strategy if you're Penn State that you key on the running game. Wisconsin just does not have the types of threats that Penn State's corners shouldn't be able to handle one-on-one. And similarly for Penn State, your offensive line's not necessarily making room consistently for your running backs the last couple of years. You're relying on the home run play. Wisconsin may play it a little bit the opposite way. Prove to us you can run the ball, and we'll give your playmakers a little bit more space over the top, perhaps. I feel like
1: if Penn State wants to be more comfortable, it'll be a bit like two Floyd Mayweathers going out and fighting each other. Yeah. Or just like, (laughs) all right, let's just see what you got. And then nobody's throwing a punch. But you know what's going to be way more like that is, yeah, Indiana at Iowa.
0: Yeah, two of the more sound overall teams last year in the conference. Neither of them have glaring weaknesses. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see. I think Indiana's defensive front in particular gets a little bit underrated because they don't – aside maybe from Micah McFadden, they don't have anybody who has big-time name recognition. They don't have obvious NFL talent. They use this system of this selective, aggressive attacking that I think kind of makes more of the whole than the sum of the parts. Iowa – tends to get automatic credit on the offensive line, but they do have a couple of new tackles this year. There have been times in the past where that hasn't gone automatically well. Um, They'll be fine on the interior with, you know, at left guard and um, Linderbaum is the name everybody knows at center, who's probably, he'll probably end up a Remington finalist. He'll be a mid-round pick if he goes pro this year. And with Tyler Goodson on offense, they'll run the ball and run it pretty well. But in passing situations, I wonder how Iowa's new tackles stand up against Indiana's aggressive, creative blitzing system. We'll see how that goes. And we'll also see how Petrus does in his second year as a full-time starter, but also with what's probably a downgraded group of weapons. I know Iowa fans are pretty optimistic about Tyrone Tracy as a lead receiver. Sam Laporte is a good tight end. But losing Amir Smith-Marset and Brandon Smith, I, I tend to think that they're still going to be taking something of a step backwards there.
1: Well, I actually asked Leah about this uh, just yesterday. I asked my wife, if, if our hound dog were an Iowa offensive lineman, would she be, former Iowa offensive lineman, would she be Tristan Wirfs, Brandon Scherf, Mike Groff, uh, Riley Reef, or Brian Blarga?
0: And so, how long did she just look at you quietly before you left the room?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, she agreed <sighs> that it would definitely be Tristan Wirfs.
0: Well, that and would be she... Millie. That would be Millie.
1: Yes, that—that's um, the one I was talking uh, <laughs> about. Sure. Oh, okay. All
0: right. No, um,
1: because Moon would be much more like Eric Steinbach. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so then, when Indiana has the ball, Iowa, as we mentioned in the off-season, has substantial turnover on the defensive line still some guys who you can be confident about um van valkenberg had good production last year but there was a lot more um in the way of other proven threats that commanded attention um their defensive backs you assume are going to be good um riley moss is back they've got kerner and Meriwether at the safety group so the back end of the group should be good if they get sound defensive line play from a couple of the new guys like noah shannon and yaya black at tackle then the defense should st- should Really keep the ball rolling, and Phil Parker is kind of is one of those guys who I think is a little underrated from a national perspective in terms of earning the benefit of the doubt. It's so true that the they thing. don't have a ton of proven guys, but until they show that it's going to be a down year, you probably assume they're going to be fine.
1: So here's the thing: you usually like to divide this into the four units, right? Yeah. One team's offense, defense; the other team's offense, defense. As far and then find out what the weakest one is. It's kind of hard to say here. So you want I kind of. Feel like you subdivided a little further because I think that the weakest matchup here the, the weakest subdivision of these is Iowa's passing game because Indiana's passing game is is middling to strong but Iowa's secondary is very good yeah but I think ultimately the fact that uh, if, if you're talking about both of the run games and then the front sevens and the secondaries I think your weak spot is going to be Iowa's passing game.
0: Probably so. And made more so by the fact that, you know, pretend that Tyrone Tracy does take a step forward and as a number one type of receiver, Indiana puts Taiwan Mullen on him and he goes away. So are you really going to win a game against a team as sound as Indiana with only your tight end as a receiving threat? I, I don't know that you are.
1: So, And if you're going to talk about receiving threats that can be neutralized, well, I like the idea of anybody Iowa can put out there to be neutralized by Taiwan Mullen better than the idea that anybody can completely neutralize Freifogel.
0: Yeah. Even with solid, even with a solid guy like Riley Moss. When when you've got a guy that's
1: got also not just some skill, but a lot of rapport with this quarterback.
0: Right. And how many, how many dozens of catches did he? Yeah. So, um, Anyway, it sounds as though I think both of us give a slight edge to Indiana here, even with the game being at Kinnick. It's, again, probably going to be very competitive. I don't have a ton of conviction in that pick. I probably wouldn't bet it for much in the way of money. But on paper, I think I like the matchup for Indiana a little bit.
1: You know what? I actually like it for Iowa because we're in 2021. And while on the surface, it looks like things are things... People want us to believe things are changing for the better. The most important promise that was made was that nothing will fundamentally change. Your source for big talk gets off tackle empire.